Hello, this is James, and welcome back to The Word is Very Near You, my podcast about God's nearness in our everyday lives. I'm in the midst of a series on Lent called Bread and Wine. As I'm sure you're aware, bread and wine are the symbols of Holy Communion, the forgiveness that God offers to us. When Jesus spent his last night on earth, he prepared the Passover meal, what we refer to as the Last Supper, broke bread and gave wine to his disciples, offering them God's forgiveness, God's rescue, God's atonement for their sins. And today's passage is a beautiful picture of that. We used to live up in the mountains, and there was this one winter where I swore it seemed like winter was never going to end. It snowed a lot. It got really, really cold. One night it got down to actual zero, like zero degrees. And for us in North Carolina, that's really cold. I know all of you from up north are probably laughing at me right now. But it was just this really odd, cold, snowy winter. And don't get me wrong, I love snow. It's fun to go play in the snow. But this winter, like there was snow on the ground just for months. It never really totally went away. It was cold. To top it off, our house faced north, and it was kind of shaded. And so we were just always cold and longing for the warmth of spring. And then one day it happened. One day, all of a sudden, I walked out my front door to go to work, and it wasn't cold anymore. And the sun was actually out, and it was getting warm. And it was like this, ah, breakthrough. Spring was finally here. And I don't know if you've been through a season like that, literally or figuratively in your life, where it just seems like the winter is never going to end. This last year, it's felt like that to me with the pandemic, that as I record this this morning, we're about a year into the pandemic. And for the first time now, it seems like there is some hope on the horizon. We have vaccines that are out and that are working and people are getting them. And the case numbers are actually dropping instead of rising. And it's the end of a long pandemic year, and it seems like there is finally glimmers of hope on the horizon. We see a similar pattern in the book of Isaiah. For the first 39 chapters of the book, it is really all about God's judgment on Israel. Israel is experiencing the just deserts of their sin. They are experiencing natural consequences, as we parents would say, right? They have rejected God. They have forsaken him. They've turned to idols. They've turned to other nations to help them instead of the living God. And God is warning them, warning them, warning them. Bad things are going to happen. You keep rejecting me. This is not going to end well for you. And Israel keeps going down that path. And they do experience just that. They experience God's judgment. They experience being attacked by Assyria and then Babylon and their people being carried away into exile, their cities destroyed, their crops ruined. It's a a sad, difficult read. And if you were with me last time when I looked at Isaiah chapter 6, you especially heard that, right? That God warned them that judgment was coming and that it was really too late for them, that they had already crossed the line and there was really no hope of him changing his mind. And if the book of Isaiah ended right there, it would be a bleak, difficult book. But it doesn't. It keeps on going. And when we get to chapter 40, the chapter we're in today, 
there's a hinge. The whole book turns on Isaiah 40, and for the first time, really, you begin to see substantial words of hope, forgiveness, restoration, healing. Listen to how chapter 40 begins. I'm starting in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all human faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. If you've been reading along in Isaiah up till this point, here you see a radical shift, a shift towards tenderness, forgiveness, comfort, the word with which the chapter begins. God is about to comfort his people after a long winter of judgment. The spring of forgiveness is at hand. The spring of restoration is here. During Isaiah's lifetime, he would have witnessed the fall of the northern kingdom, Israel, to Assyria, and he would have also witnessed the near fall of the place where he lived, the southern kingdom, Judah, to that same country. And after Isaiah died, the Babylonians came and finished the job and carried off most of the Israelites into exile to Babylon. So here in the final chapters of the book, Isaiah is looking forward to a day when things will be restored. And without going into all that history, what will happen is the people of Israel will come back to their land, that there will be a new military power rising on the local scene that will defeat Babylon and free the Israelites to come back. So Isaiah prophecies about that day and looks forward to the day when God will restore the fortunes of Israel. And I don't know about you, but I can certainly look back at times in my life when I've experienced a similar transition where I've been through a period of God's judgment and experiencing the just consequences of my actions, and it seemed like it was never going to end. 
times when I knew I had strayed from the Lord and and it's like I was living under this dark cloud, like I was going through this winter that was never going to end. And then suddenly one day, sunlight again, right? Warmth. And began to experience God's forgiveness and restoration and hope that life could move forward again. And that's the beauty to me of the book of Isaiah, is that it doesn't end on the note of judgment, but rather on a note of hope. And the hope here is completely unmerited. It's undeserved. It's not anything the Israelites did or didn't do that caused God to relent and to restore them, but rather it's completely God's mercy and grace. You know, the old saying is God doesn't love us because we are good. God loves us because he is good. And you see that here, don't you? That God is showing favor and mercy to his people that's completely undeserved. It's a picture of grace in the Old Testament. And the way that God is going to rescue and deliver his people here is through his very presence. If you were going to title this passage, you might title it, The King is Coming. That God is coming himself to rescue his people. And so in the immediate historical context, it can certainly be talking about how God is going to bring back the captives from Babylon and restore them to their land. But it's incredibly significant that all four of the New Testament gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all apply the words of verses 3 through 5 to the ministry of John the Baptist. That John the Baptist, baptizing and preaching a gospel of repentance, is preparing the way for the literal coming of God to his people that Isaiah's prophecy about the coming king comes true in a way that maybe he could have never even imagined. That in Jesus we see God in the flesh coming to rescue us and forgive us and show us mercy and grace. It's incredible to me to think about these words spoken some 700 years before the time of Christ coming true in a more rich and profound way than the people could have ever imagined when they first heard them. And as the passage continues, we see that this act of divine rescue is completely God's doing. It's not based on human effort or faithfulness. All people are like grass, verse 6 says, and all human faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. And then it repeats it again for emphasis. So we see a contrast, don't we, between human transience and God's permanence. Between human inconstancy and God's constancy. And in verses 9 and 10, we see again the emphasis on God's presence. Go up onto a high mountain and say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. And again, the New Testament twist and interpretation on these words is that, yes, God himself has come in Jesus, that this prophecy was fulfilled in an incredible way in the coming of Christ. The New Testament shows us that God loved the world so much that he came himself He didn't send a committee. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a task force. God loved the world so much that he came 
himself. And this prophecy points to that beautiful reality. And the final verse in this section gives us a beautiful image that we also see fulfilled in Jesus. It reads, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Some of the oldest carved images that archaeologists have dug up from the ancient Near East are images of a king with a shepherd's staff in his hand. And the idea here is that the great and mighty and powerful king, whether it's the king of Sumer or Mesopotamia or Acadia or Assyria, that this mighty king is also a shepherd who cares for his flock, his people. And we see that picture here also, don't we, of the great king, the king of the universe, is also a shepherd who gently gathers the lambs, us, his people, and carries us close to his heart. It's a beautiful, tender image of God that stands in stark contrast to the harsh judgment that we've seen in the preceding chapters. So I hope that provides some comfort to you today. Again, as the opening words of the passage say, comfort, comfort. You know, if you're walking through a time right now of darkness or where you feel like you're on the wrong side of God's judgment, know that that will not last forever, that there does come a time of restoration and tenderness and closeness. And I believe the way that we experience that is, as verse 3 says, prepare the way for the Lord. Again, this is why John's ministry was so crucial because it laid the groundwork of repentance so people could understand that they needed a Savior. And so if that's where you are today, I pray that you will take John's words to heart and Isaiah's words to heart and begin to prepare the way for the Lord. Lynn, it's a great time to do that. It's a great time to look inside and look for those ways that we might be going down a wrong path and to repent. Repent is simply to turn around and to begin walking down a different path. It's not easy, but with God's help, it's something that we do, and that prepares the way for us to receive God's very presence, his salvation, his rescue in our lives. And so as you do that, I pray that you will experience God's tender kindness in your life, his rescue, his very presence to comfort you in your time of need. This has been The Word is Very Near You. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another devotion.